Amen. If you have a Bible, you can meet me in Exodus chapter 3. But as you're turning there, I want you in your mind, not out loud, all right, not out loud, but in your mind to think about this particular question, okay? So track with me here, this question, if there is one thing you could change about yourself, what would it be? Now, don't answer it out loud. I want you to think about it in your mind, because we all have it, right? We all have it. What is the one thing you could you would change about yourself and what would it be it's a telling question isn't it think about it just sit with it i know we don't like silence but i want you to really think about that what would the thing be if you could change it the reason i say it's a telling question is because some of us would change part of our physical appearance there's that thing that comes right to mind and we say, I would change that. Some of us would change a part of our character or a struggle with sin. And we think to ourselves, kind of Romans 7 style, right? Like, I'm the worst sinner I know and that's why. And if I could just amputate that, I would. Some of it's that. For some of you, for some of us, maybe it would be a part of our story. Something that happened to us or around us. A pain or an event. I think where our mind runs to in that moment, when we think about a question like that, which of course we can't, but it tells us, it reveals something about us in some way, at least even a small way, it reveals to us something about ourselves, doesn't it? Where does your mind run to if you were given some of the ability that only the Lord has, right? It's telling in some ways. We left off last week being introduced to this deliverer that God was raising up to rescue his people from oppression and slavery in Egypt, the nation of Israel was a people, a nation within a nation. And I don't want to rehash everything. You can catch up on that online in the podcast or even on YouTube these days. Um, so go back and do that because there, there's a lot, a lot there. But we, we left off with the nation of Israel being oppressed. And God begins to raise up in the meantime, uh, in his own time, this deliverer named Moses. Um, we live in a land that loves a good superhero story, don't we? How many of you have seen a superhero movie like within the last six months of any of any kind? Yeah, and the rest of you are lying. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I actually haven't either. But uh, that's because we watch like Mickey Mouse and stuff at this stage of our life. But um, I was I just Googled it because I was curious because I've actually not really ever been into like the superhero stuff. Uh, which is, I know, I'm on the weird side of that. But uh, the reason I say we li live in a land that loves a good superhero story is this. I just, just a quick Google. In 2018, the movie Aquaman grossed over $1 billion in revenue. I mean, Aquaman. I mean, it's not, it's not even a, 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 a real story. <laughs> and we... 
Some of you, I just, that was like, I shouldn't have said that. You're like, <laughs> think about it though. One billion dollars to entertain ourselves with something that is fake. Whoa. And I'm not knocking it, I'm just, you know, one billion dollars. I mean, think about what we could do with a billion dollars. As of January 2020, all right, that was a couple of years ago. This year, Avengers, Spider-Man, and Joker, those three movies that have come out recently, they combined to gross over $3 billion. Four movies in the past couple of years. Billions and billions of dollars. And I don't want to take time to unpack that. That's a whole different thing, right? And I don't want to do that. But I, I just say that because it shows... We love a good superhero story. We love the concept of someone who can swoop in and solve all of our problems. Someone who can come in and deal with the things in our life. But here's where I want to take that. I think it's really one of the primary reasons that if we're honest, that we struggle with God. I think that idea of wanting the superhero is one of the primary reasons that we struggle with God. Because as you've all heard, right, the saying goes, if God were good, if God were all-powerful, if God, then why, right? Then why X, Y, or Z? And, and you could fill that in for whatever Whatever the case may be, there, there, there are any number of things, whether it's in your own personal life or whether it's in the broader culture or even in history as we look at some of the incredible atrocities, even the ones in our text today. And so I want to I walk there with you today. Uh, so Exodus 3 is our text. And while there is a ton here that we could talk about, my, my goal this morning is not to be uh, a commentator for you. It's not to be a study Bible for you. You can get a good one, and uh, if you have an Amazon account, I mean, you could have it tomorrow. Um, and even sometimes, you know, same day, right? So, so that that's not my goal. I mean, you can probably even get that on your phone. Okay, so so study Exodus three this week, and I mean that. There's a lot here for you and I to consider. Maybe join a city group and, and unpack some of these things further in community. That would be great. It's not too late to join one. Um, but I want to go into a specific place with you in, in regards to that. Because cause here's what I think Exodus 3 does. I think it confronts two of our biggest challenges in knowing and understanding God. I think Exodus 3 really comes and challenges you and I in real time as real human beings with two things about knowing and understanding God. So if you're taking notes, if you're a note taker, uh, these will be some good things to write down um, and keep thinking about. Okay? Are you ready? Look at Exodus chapter 3. Let's look at the first three verses. Let's get a little bit of context for where we are. Okay? So... The, the very last thing at the end of chapter 2 is 
we see that God hears his people. And a great phrase in scripture is literally the last part of Exodus chapter 2. It says, and God knew. And that's comforting. That God knows you. He knows where you're struggling. He knows the details of your story. And he cares. And he cares. But as we come into chapter 3, there's some where there's some things that we need to address. But here we go. Verse 1, Exodus chapter 3. It says, meanwhile. Right? Because that's what we talked about last week. God does things in His own time. Not always what we would say is on time. Okay? Are you tracking with me? Right? We, we understand that in a relational context. That there are things that we would like now that sometimes God says no. Okay? Or wait and so all of this oppression is happening to the Hebrew people, to the Israelite people. And God is at work. But God's at work in this meanwhile, right? Because when we met Moses, there was a genocide happening to every male child in Israel. All the male babies were being killed and God spares Moses in an incredible story. To use him. But now when we come to Moses here, look at this next phrase. It says, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, Jethro, the priest of Midian. So Moses, because he just killed two guys and tried to help Israel in his own power, has run away and now he's an adult. So this meanwhile is a long time. Okay, and that's important context here for us as we consider these assumptions um, about God. So, so here he is leading this flock. So the rest of the verse says, He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, but was not consumed. It was not burnt up. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? Exodus 3 sets up the scene of what's about to happen. And so you, you get some important details here. But Moses is shepherding his father-in-law's flock of sheep in the wilderness. Remember, Moses went from riches in the palace, living with the Pharaoh and his daughter as a son of Pharaoh's daughter to literally rags, to running to the wilderness. And now he's working for his father-in-law. And don't forget, he killed two people. Now he's wandering around the wilderness with sheep. He went from being royalty to wandering around in the wilderness with sheep. Which was a slap to his own upbringing, honestly. Genesis 46 33 and 34 tell us that shepherds in that Egyptian culture were detestable. Kind of like New Testament tax collectors. You just didn't associate with them. You just didn't spend time with shepherds. So there's Moses tending his flock in the wilderness, kind of minding his own business. And he comes across this bush that isn't burning. It's on fire, but it isn't burning. So naturally, he asks himself, 
Why is this bush not burning? Why is it not burning up? So he goes to check it out because boys for 10,000 years have been the same. Fire, let's do this, right? Like there's fire in the wilderness. I didn't start it. Why is it on fire, right? And he's just play with fire. That's what we do. Theologians call this a theophany, if you're looking for a big word today. Theophany, it's, it's, it's a time when God reveals himself, God the Father, big G God, reveals himself in different forms. And so here in the Old Testament, he comes and he reveals himself. Some believe this is uh, an appearance of Christ, but we don't, we don't totally have that detail. But we do know that it's God. Simply put, it's when God reveals himself to man. But listen, because God is omnipresent, he's everywhere. Because God is holy and righteous and glorious, Scripture is really clear throughout itself that, that we don't just step into the presence of God, right? We, we don't just slide into the presence of the glory of God. We, we have uh, scriptures all throughout that talk about men who have been in God's presence and it has physically changed them. And so uh, perhaps even kill them. And so Moses gets to look at this bush on fire because God's gracious. God comes and gives him something to look at. And we get that even in our own context that we need something to look at when it comes to God. So in this case, a burning bush that doesn't burn up, but it's what happens next in that setting that I really think is where things really get good. Look at verse 4 here. It says, When the Lord saw that he, Moses, had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. Now, now first of all, this Lord in all capitals is the self-existent, eternal, proper name of the one true God. It was important. It mattered. It was not just anyone speaking. This was God himself. And here is another fun detail when he says Moses, Moses. When he says his name twice uh, in, in Hebrew, in that language and in that culture of that time. To say somebody's name twice like that is to say it with affection. So, so, so here you have the God of the universe in this flame, which represents God's power all through Scripture, the presence and power of God, on a bush, speaking to Moses. <laughs> Just think about the details of that. And he's hearing the voice of God as a friend, with affection, with endearing friendship. And here's the best part. Moses answers the bush. <laughs> Don't you just love that? The simplicity of that? There's a bush talking to him. And instead of thinking, am I going nuts? Which is what you and I would do. If you and I were walking around in the desert with some sheep and we saw a bush on fire and it was burning and talking to us, What would our friends think? I mean, would you video that for Instagram real quick? It's talking to me, I promise. And it'd be like, you, you did a voiceover or something. 
right? Like we, we wouldn't even believe that. But Moses answers, right? What's he say? He says, here I am. There's something sim- simple about that, isn't there? That when God speaks to you, when you know that God's asking you to move, to just say, here I am. Moses didn't have literally any answers here. In fact, he grew up in a polytheistic culture that was probably part of, part of his worldview. And yet, the bush talks, God speaks, here I am. And I love this in verse 5, do not come any closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Another great reaction from Moses here. Moses gets more details about who's speaking to him from the bush. Look at what he does. It says Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Wouldn't it be amazing if we would recover some of the glory of God in our worldview? Moses, when he hears from God and recognizes who is speaking to him, it was just innate in him to get low. Right? And in the New Testament, we, we think about John the Baptist when he says, God must increase and I must decrease. There's something within us when God shows up that we naturally move low. And that's a good word for us in a culture that desires to elevate high. Right? In our culture, it's about what I can achieve and what I can do and what I can get. And God says, when I show up, I just want you to be low. Verse 7, Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and heard them crying because of their oppressors. I know about their suffering. And I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So because the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, therefore go, I am sending you, Moses, to the Pharaoh, so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And again, Moses, right on cue, ask God, who am I that I would go to Pharaoh? There's a reason... I'm out here in the wilderness watching my father-in-law's sheep. I don't even got my own sheep. I'm watching my father-in-law's sheep. Now, it's fine if you work for your father-in-law, but you probably don't watch his sheep, right? He's like, there, there's a reason. And I love God's answer here. God doesn't say anything back to Moses about Moses. That's important for you and I. He answered, I will certainly be with you. See, because there's a temptation for us to think that this text is all about Moses, and it's not. This is a text about God. Moses, we see Moses certainly responding to the character of God, but this is a text about God. This is a text about you and I and our, our, uh, our posture before the God of the universe. So he says, I will certainly be with you, 
And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship at, worship God at this mountain. Moses couldn't have known that in a few years, maybe more than a few years, <laughs> he'd be on that same mountain in the presence of God again, receiving the Ten Commandments. What an amazing thing that we get to see from the 30,000 foot view, the trajectory that he would be on. But isn't it just like us, that the people of Israel, while Moses is up there getting that Ten Commandments, they're down there worshiping a golden calf, right? And so we're, we're seeing some of this foundation be laid. And Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say, what is his name? <laughs> what should I tell them? Again, polytheistic culture pantheistic culture, lots of gods uh, all over the place. And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Don't need no introductions. I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name. How long? Forever. This is you and I. Let's pay attention. This is how I'm to be remembered in every generation. If you feel like talking, you can lift up your voice and say, that's me. Yeah. We, it's tough. It's tough. In every generation, this is how we remember God. So let's unpack that a little bit, okay? Because there's, there's a ton there. And, and my goal is not to exhaust the passage with you, okay? We won't have time for that. But I do want to invite you into thinking with me about God here. Thinking with me about God. Because it does deal with Moses, but this text isn't about Moses. And, and here's why I say it, because we're so tempted. And I only know this because I know me. And I'm just guessing you're probably a little better than me, but probably not a lot better than me, right? Like, I know you, and you know me, and I get where you live. And, and, and here's the temptation. It's so tempting to fall prey to our small situations and focus on our miniature self-serving missions in this life. It's so tempting. Because here's Moses minding his own business, having messed his life up, wandering around in the desert, working for his father-in-law, and then God shows up. God shows up. And Moses gets low. And so it's in this posture that we're confronted with these two challenges about knowing and understanding God. And they are challenges. And I want us to think about them together this morning. But if you're taking notes, here's the first one. The first challenge of knowing God in this posture is this. If God is able, then why does He wait? Right? Every single one of you have been in that place. Every single one of you. Because it's really easy to read Exodus 3 and be like, man... God's come down 
to rescue his people. And that is the point. But if you're a human being, our minds should run to the point where we say, God, if you were able, because he clearly is, we're going to see that in the coming weeks, but God, if, if you're able, why did you wait? Why for decades and generations of people, why did you wait? Maybe in your own life right now, I asked you what you would change about yourself. Like, let's go back there. God, if you're able, if you didn't have to, l- listen, listen, I, I, I get this. My, my mom grew up in a wheelchair. She had a tumor growth through her spinal cord when I was three. Why? What was the point of that? She would tell you now that she wouldn't change it. The, the deflection from her to the Lord has been so much greater than what she could have done. Listen, I have, a, I have a nine-year-old. He's about to turn 10. He was up here with me. He's got little forearm canes. He's got spina bifida. And, and, and listen, when he looks me in the eye and says, why? I don't have a good answer for him other than God is going to use that in a way that God could never use daddy. I don't know why. Because here's what I do know. I do know that God is able. Think about the sin in your own life. It's like Paul. God, if you could take this thorn out of my flesh, that would be awesome. And God says no. But God, if you're able, why why are you waiting? Because in verse 7, God reveals that he both hears and cares for his people. And you should take comfort in that. I should. God hears you and he cares for you. And he is going to act. Generations of Israelites have cried out and there was no act from their God. And yet here, God's going to hear and then he's going to come and he's going to rescue his people. And... uh, (laughs) Since we're talking about my kids, I also have a three-year-old little girl. She's perfect. Don't tell her that, though. She thinks that's true. But what do you think happens in me when I, when I hear my little girl called daddy? Talk to me. Come on. What, what, do you, what do you think happens in me? I melt. What else? Run. <laughs> right? What's the matter? Right? What'd your brothers do? <laughs> That's really what, what usually happens. You know, it's usually nothing. It's usually her fault, right? But I'm like, boys, <laughs> what'd you do? And it's her fault, right? Like, God is a good father. He's a perfect father. Because you know what? You, you know what the times when I don't run to Baylor, my three-year-old little girl? When I can see the scenario unfolding, and she's calling, but I can see what's happening and I can see that she needs what's happening. Even in my boys yesterday, we were in the park, they were playing soccer and they started pushing each other. And I could see the whole scenario and I didn't run in and stop it. And they shoved each other and I thought it was awesome. <laughs> you know, but then of course somebody gets hurt and they stop, but... Right? Like, th- there are things that the Father can see that we can't see. I, I, I want to I I 
go into that a little bit farther because it's a tough question. If God's able, why, why does he wait? Why does he not act sometimes? Um, but I do think careful attention to the word tells us. If, if, if we'll listen, it tells us, right? Some of these scriptures will be on the screen for you just to follow along with me. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. Here, here's what Isaiah learned. Here's what God says to him. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. And then you jump forward a little bit. For as the heavens are higher than the earth. How many of you know where heaven is? Anybody? Anybody? Not a theological snarky answer. Okay. Like we haven't seen it. Okay. We may think we know. I'm with you. I got some opinions too. As heaven is higher than the earth, like we can't understand that. So are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Oh. God's just altogether different from me. Romans chapter 5 verse 3, New Testament. We also rejoice in our afflictions. Because we know that the affliction produces endurance. Romans chapter 8 verse 17. If indeed we suffer with him, it's so that we may also be glorified with him. Philippians chapter 1 verse 29. It has been, check this out. Somebody's not going to like this. It has been granted to you. That didn't feel good when I first read it. It's been granted to you, not, or on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in Him, that's what we usually talk about, right? We like to talk about that, and it's awesome. Adopted into God's family. It is finished. It's a glorious thing. But Paul takes it one step farther. It's not only to believe in Him, it's been granted to you. To suffer for him. That's just a totally different worldview. That you're not here today to get my tips and tricks, to get five steps on how to do life better. I'm still figuring it out. But Scripture's crystal clear. Now, I'm not telling you it's easy, I'm not telling you I even understand it but we have to trust it. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire. See the connection? Who's the fire? God may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Because you are receiving the goal of your faith. 
the salvation of your soul. Ooh. If you want to write another one down, we're not, I'm not going to go there, but 2 Peter 3.8 would be another another place to go. I didn't put that one in the thing, did I? I don't think I did. Okay. You should look that up later. But, but here's my point. There's enough there. Scripture is clear that God does not work on our timeline. Eternity is so much different than the temporary. We're just, we're just not even able to comprehend that. It's also clear that God is working in ways that we simply as finite beings, looking at an infinite God, that, that we just simply can't comprehend. That, that, that just simply are, are just too big. They're, they're just too beyond our understanding, too beyond us. But, but here, here's a new take on that. I think that ought to bolster your faith. I don't think it should discourage your faith. To, to know that God's using the things in your life and around the world in ways that we just simply can't comprehend, even if they don't look good. Because here's the reality. If we could understand God, we wouldn't need God. If, if we had all the knowledge that He had and all the power that He had and we could totally wrap ourselves around what He's doing in the world, we wouldn't need Him. There's plenty of days where we act like we don't need Him now with our limited understanding. Is that true? Yeah, it is. Scripture is so clear and it ought to be encouraging to us because only in Christ, only with a loving Father, a perfect Father like this, only in that scenario is your suffering not meaningless. I don't care what religion you have or what you think is coming in the next life. Like, the God of the Bible is crystal clear that there's a goal to what's going on in your life. That you're being fashioned and shaped according to His purposes in the world and it will all work for good. Do you think the Israelites could have possibly comprehended that they were suffering so that thousands of years later we would be sitting here and you would be suffering the way that you're suffering and looking at them would bolster your faith? There's no way that they could have known that. Not a chance. But God, for thousands of years now, looking at the New Testament, has been able to say, look back. Look back. I was faithful then. I'm going to be faithful now. Look back. You're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses that I am faithful and that I am working and that when I bring you to myself, Things will be good. Because our God sits above it all. He sits above it all. And Revelation chapter 21 verse 5 tells us that there is a time coming when He will make all things right. He will make all things new. So we must remember that eternity is far longer than the present reality. And I'm aware that that's not an easy word. But it's a trustworthy word. But it's hard. But God is there. 
And that's where we go back to the end of chapter 2 and we take comfort from that phrase. And God knew. I don't know what you're going through. I know what some of you are going through. But I want you to know that God knows you. And I want you to be strengthened by that. And so the second challenge then comes. Let's, okay, God, I, I can get there. I know that you are good and you're God and I can track with that. That's fine. I may not understand it or like it all the time, but I get it. I get it. God is bigger than I am. That's a good thing. It's oversimplifying it, but if we're if we can get there on that point, what about the second challenge of knowing God? Because because if I'm if I'm knowing God and I get to hear like Moses, we're going to have this we're going to have this challenge. If God is able, then why choose me? Because see, here's the deal: if you're going to step into what God is doing in your life and let Him use you the way that He wants to use you, it'll be uncomfortable. It'll hurt sometimes. It'll be embarrassing. You're going to lose some popularity. I mean, I mean, whatever it is for you, I don't know. Because if he's going to ask you to tell your story, or he's going to ask you to step out in faith and serve, or whatever the case may be. In verse 11, Moses asks this very question. Right? He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? I had that chance. I had that chance to be in Pharaoh's house and to do this the right way. And God would just say to you what he said to Moses, I'll be with you. Listen, I don't doubt for a second that God has something in front of many of you that you know he's calling you to. Right? That that is the body of Christ. Everybody exercising their gifts among the body for the good of the church and the glory of Christ. So there's something in front of every single one of you, in front of us. There are, there are things that you should be doing that I, that I cannot do. Statistics would say you would rather die than do what I'm doing right now. And that's fine. There's a lot of anonymity up here for me, right? To just wax eloquent and then walk off the stage, right? <laughs> if God's able, why do you choose me? Because that's the point. We talked last week about 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that God chooses to use the weak things of the world to shame the strong. It's precisely that you aren't qualified that you are qualified. Because then nobody's confused about who's doing the work. Right? If God just wanted to use Pharaoh to do it, he could have just had Pharaoh turn from his sin, repent, and lead people to Christ. But he didn't. Because, because even, in, even in the journey that God's taking you on, there, there's a reason, there's a purpose. Because God's answer is twofold here. I'll be with you. And then because I'm gracious, I'll give you a sign. So God is going to be with Moses and provide him direct divine help. Even the, even the great rulers of history, think about what Moses was saying. He's like, who am I to go to Pharaoh? He's the most powerful guy in the world. I mean, think about it. All the rulers throughout history, for all of time, 
even didn't, didn't do any of it on their own, right? They had massive armies to do the work that they were envisioning to happen. I don't care how good of a single leader you are. You won't accomplish anything without the help of other people. And God, and God is going to use Moses here. All right? Moses is going to literally walk into Pharaoh's office with his brother Aaron, who we'll meet next week, I think, and take on the most powerful ruler of the day. It's God's work. I mean, you can't even get into the White House here. I mean, you've got you to buy a ticket. You've got to get in line. You've got to go on a tour. they got snipers looking at you. Like, you don't just roll in. It wasn't any different back then. This was going to have to be a move of God. Nobody's confused. By the way, Moses would have changed some things about himself. We learned from other texts, and we don't have time to go there, but that Moses had a speech impediment. And God was going to use him to go to Pharaoh and deliver a speech, a rousing speech about how he was leading that nation out of his nation. No wonder Moses said, I'm not your guy. I mean, I can't even talk. I can't, I can't even talk right. And God said, perfect. <laughs> and then Moses whined and complained. And in chapter 4, we'll look at it next week, uh, he, uh, God actually gets angry with Moses. I mean, if God gets annoyed with you, you're in trouble. <laughs> I mean, we get annoyed with each other, but God gets annoyed with him. But God's gracious, so God says, okay, I'll let your brother Aaron go. So they're going in twos. Moses would have changed some stuff, but that was the perfect place for him to be used by God, fully aware of his limitations. God also offers Mo- Moses what theologians call a fulfillment sign. It's significant because not only would it move the people from one place to another, so out of oppression into the promised land, right? That land with good and milk and honey and and all those awesome things. But it was going to move their faith from one place to another. Because who has been providing for them all this time? Albeit in a poor way, somebody else. So they're literally going to step into the desert and go on a journey. They didn't know it. They're going to whine about it. But God was going to use the journey. Because how many of you know God doesn't just care about getting you to heaven. He cares about the process of you along the way. He's shaping you. We call that sanctification, don't we? But we see clearly here that sanctification is not God's people getting better. In fact, they get worse. <laughs> they literally, they get out of there, and we'll study this. They get out of there and they start complaining about being out of there. Like, oh God, if we just could go back to Egypt, at least we could eat. Right? Does that sound familiar to any of us? God, would you, God, if you just provide a husband for me, and then he does, God, if you just fix this horrible husband you provided for me, God, if, if you just give me kids, these dang kids, <laughs> I don't got no freedom, I can't do anything, right? They don't listen to what I say. You, you get the point, right? I mean, we could, we could look at all of our situations and find those things. We're fickle people. We are. We're a fickle people. And, and so that, that leans us back into that place. Why did God choose me? Because he gets the glory for whatever he does. And that's awesome. That's a great place to be. 
but with, with that obviously satisfactory answer, right? Because God is moving and he does it in his way. Moses then turns his attention back to God. And that's what I want to do with you now. As we think about how we respond in those moments. Moses turns his attention back to God, back to knowing this God more. Look again at his question in verse 13. Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? There's a lot in the name, isn't there? We know each other by our name. We are known literally by our name. And it doesn't mean quite as much as it does now as it did then. But even so, many of you probably name your children certain things because either a grandfather, like my middle name is David because my grandfather was and the the pastor of the church that my parents grew up in uh, was. Like there's reasons that we name our kids what we do. Moses says, what about your name? What should I tell him your name is, God? Because Moses must have known that in this culture, in this worldview that he was stepping back into, that Israel had been in for a long time, was that literally in every culture that we know about from that time period, every single one with no exception historically that we can find, every culture in that time period believed in many gods. They believed that everybody's God, everybody's primary God, had a, had a peace in the divine landscape of what was going on in the world, that, that they all were God. Even in the New Testament, Paul goes to the Areopagus and, and, and he says, hey, that one that says the unknown God, I can tell you about that one. Right? So, so just a, a totally different worldview. Moses must have known that. What, what should I tell them? Your name is, because they're going to want to know. And I love it. God says, I am who I am. Right? The great I am. It's an amazing answer. What is your name? Seems simple enough. It's no wonder that Moses wanted to know. But what a powerful answer. I am who I am. Even just that name just reorients us to get low. Doesn't it? I am who I am. I I am the self-existent, eternal proper name of God. All your little G gods look up to this proper name of God. I am. I don't need anything else in this world to inform who I am. And that's where I want to push us today because it is that self-existent, eternal, proper name of the one true God who knows you And hears you right now. Is that not amazing? That that God hears you. So one more scripture. James chapter 4 verse 10. Says this. Humble yourselves. Right? Get low. Get low. In the presence of God, get low. I don't know what he's doing in your life. I don't know what suffering, what oppression, what difficulty. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. I have no idea what that looks like in your life or mine. But I do know that that is true. If you will humble yourself before God, He will exalt you. 
And that's the path. That's the path. So, so there are these things that we're confronted with in Scripture. And they are challenges. If you're able, God, then why? And we may not have good answers in this life, but I can tell you this, He has good answers. Amen? So I think the most appropriate way that we can leave that, (laughs) how do you leave that? I am. Is to just remind ourselves of the goodness of God. There's communion elements right in front of you.